0: With the underground yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to thank you for tuning in once again to the Underground Christian Network. Today, we're going to be answering that question that many Christians have been asking, and that is, aren't all the Bibles the same? Aren't they all saying the same thing in a different way? Well, rather than answering the question outright, I want you to open up your Bible to Zechariah 13, and we're going to take a look at something in the Scriptures. I'd like for you to open up your Bible no matter what version that you happen to be using because there's something important that you need to see. We are told in our modern day that the new versions are better than the King James Bible, put together better scholarship than the King James Bible, is to be preferred over the King James Bible. And it's gotten even worse in the fact that uh, in our modern day, we who still use the King James Bibles are considered as uh, Neanderthals and knuckle-draggers and people who... uh, can't tell their head from a hat rack people who are behind the curve and out of date Uh, they label us as King James only and they put us down as if we're people who have no right to exist in Christianity and we actually get uh, pushed back onto the back burner because we stick with the good old trustworthy King James Bible well what you're going to hear today is a message that you will not hear in many seminaries as a matter of fact I've learned in my research into this area that this information has been suppressed for quite some time. Even here at SermonAudio.com. In January 2005, we wanted to air a message called, In Plain Words, What's Wrong in New Bibles? It's also called, Are the New Bibles God's Words? But we found that we could not feature the message. We contacted the owner of SermonAudio.com, he's a nice man, Mr. Stephen Lee, and we asked him, How come we were not permitted to feature this message? And he let us know that there's a new rule on SermonAudio.com, and that is that no longer will any message on the Bible versions be featured on SermonAudio.com. He claimed that he had received some complaints. Though he wouldn't tell me who complained, the complaints seemed to be major enough that he has banned everybody from featuring a message on the Bible versions. Well, for those who want to know... What the major differences are, you can listen to that message. It's up there on the Underground Christian Network link there at SermonAudio.com. But this one here, we're going to go a bit deeper. And also, I'm going to keep it real simple, just like I did with the very first one. But we're going to go deeper. We're going to go into the background of these new Bibles. Where did they come from? Who put them together? How were they translated? And what are the new Bible versions actually teaching? And many Christians are going to be shocked to see what these new Bibles actually teach because the new Bibles have been given to us by way of other religions and people who have other views uh, along with Christianity. I call these new Bibles World Bibles because they are mixing together Christian theology and the teachings of other religions in these new Bibles. And Christians are simply not being informed about what these new Bibles are all about where they come from, and where they're leading Christianity today. So we're going to answer a question, and that's what the whole purpose of this message is today, to answer the question, are all the Bibles the same? And aren't they all teaching the same thing? Aren't they all saying the same thing, but in a different way? Many Christians ask that question. So let's ask this question. How many of you believe that prophecy is important? If there's a false prophecy in the Bible... Don't you believe that would make that Bible come into question as to whether or not the rest of it's true, if it's getting prophecy wrong? Now, we can all agree that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back clothed. He's not coming back naked. So when he comes back, the only parts of his flesh we'll be able to see will be his face and his hands. The rest of his body will be covered. We're going to take a look at a prophecy in the book of Zechariah, And we're going to ask ourselves, how will the Jewish people recognize Jesus when he returns? How will they recognize him as the Messiah? The King James Bible for Zechariah 13, 6 reads, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Let's take a look at that same prophecy from the other Bible versions that are out there. Now he said the wounds were in his hands and these wounds were taken in the house of his friends. Let's take a look at how the other Bibles deal with this verse and we will notice how they change this prophecy. The New International Version reads if someone asks him what are these wounds on your body? body we went from hands to body the New American Standard reads and one will ask him what are these wounds between your arms so we go from hands to body to between the arms the amplified reads and one shall say to him what are these wounds on your breast or between your hands your breasts between your hands what's between your hands the new living translation says and if someone asks then what are those scars on your chest the English standard reads and if one asks him what are these wounds on your back The New King James reads, and one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? The New Life Version reads, if someone asks him, what are those sores on your back? The message reads, now I don't know where they get this from, if someone says, so where did you get that black eye? It goes on to say, they'll say, I ran into a door at a friend's house. Now, folks, this verse is talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this so-called modern translation paraphrase called the message is saying Jesus got a black eye because he ran into a door at a friend's house. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe gets a black eye by running into a door according to the message. Holman's Christian Standard Version reads, As If someone asks him, what are these wounds on your chest? The NIRV, which is the NIV for children, we're going to get on that one a little bit later, says, Suppose someone asks him, what are these wounds on your body? The NIVI, the NIV that they delivered over in Britain, reads, If someone asks him, what are these wounds on your body? The contemporary English version reads, If any of them are asked, why are they wounded, they will answer, it happened at the house of some friends. The footnote reads, probably from slashing themselves in the worship of a false god. Now, let me ask you, ladies and gentlemen, we've gone through here about ten different versions none of these versions are in agreement they contradict each other from body to between the arms to black eyes to breast to chest to back to the people being wounded rather than Christ being wounded why is it that none of these new bibles are in agreement why the contradiction And I want you to also notice the New King James, which is not a King James at all. It doesn't even agree with the real King James. The real King James says, And they shall say to him, What are these wounds in thine hands? The New King James says, What are these wounds between your arms? So rather than following along with the manuscripts that the old King James came from as they claimed, They have turned now and began following the Amplified Version and the New American Standard Version, rather than following the King James Bible. Why? When it's supposed to be translated from the same manuscripts as the old King James. Well, what you're going to discover, ladies and gentlemen, is that there's a great deception that is being pulled over the eyes of Christians today concerning these new Bibles. We're told there's no major change, yet we're looking right here, at one prophecy where we have a whole bunch of different versions that can't even tell what part of the body is going to be mentioned. How is this possible? Well, here's how it's possible, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a look at the background of these new Bibles. We're going to find out where the Bible came from, how it was translated, and how come all these Bibles are in contradiction. And what we're going to do is we need to find out which Bible is the word of God. In Psalms chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, we're told that the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, from this generation forever. We are told that God is going to preserve his word from the time they are written until the end of time. We are also told that our God is not a God of confusion. Thou shalt keep them, it says in Psalms 12, verse 7. Thou shalt keep them. The Lord is going to keep his words. We're told our God is not a God of confusion. And if he sponsored these other Bibles, he becomes a God of confusion. Because one says hands, and one says body, and one says between the arms, and one says black eye, and one says on the breast, and between the hands, and the backs, and they can't make up their mind where the wounds are supposed to be. This is not the work of the Almighty God. This is the work of men. So what's really going on here? What's happening here is this. There's a movement going on in the world today, in the religious world, called the ecumenical movement. It is a movement to try to unify the world's religions, little by little, by little by little. The one who seems to be heading this whole thing is the Roman Catholic Church. The new pope who came into position said that his goal as the pope is to unify the world's religions. The pope who passed, John Paul, likewise did what he could to try to unify the world's religions. Now, We know that our Bible, the King James Bible, warns us that in the last days, two major things are going to happen on the earth. There will be a unification of the world's governments, and there will be a unification of the world's religions. The government and the religion that the world chooses to follow will be a system in rebellion against the God of heaven and in defiance against his people. It will persecute his people to the death. Now, there are some Christians who are led to believe by the word faith movement, by the ecumenical movement, by various different supposedly Christian ministers, they're being led to believe that Roman Catholicism is Christian. Well, before me is a printout of some of the official laws of the Roman Catholic Church called the Council of Trent Seventh Session, celebrated on the third day of March, 1547. In later years, they came out with some new rules called Vatican II. In Vatican II, they confirmed that they still stand by the teachings of the Council of Trent. Let me read for you just some of what the Council of Trent teaches so that you will know firsthand what the Roman Catholic Church hierarchy actually teaches and believes as being the official doctrines of Roman Catholicism, and then you ask yourself, is Roman Catholicism really Christian, number one, and number two, should we be following a movement that's trying to merge us into Catholicism? Let's take a look. Canon number one reads, if anyone said that the sacraments of the new law were not all instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ... Or that there are more or less than seven, namely baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance, extreme unction, order, and matrimony. Or that any one of these seven is not truly and intrinsically a sacrament. Let him be anathema. Now, anathema means to be damned to hell. So they're saying anyone who believes this is to be damned to hell. Canon number four reads, If anyone says that the sacraments of the new law are not necessary for salvation, but are superfluous, and that without them, or without the desire of them, men obtain from God through faith alone the grace of justification, though all are not necessary for each one, let him be anathema. Canon number six, If anyone says the sacraments of the new law do not contain the grace which they signify, or that they do not confer the grace on those who place no obstacles in its way, as though they were only outward signs of grace or justice received through faith and certain marks of Christian profession whereby among men believers are distinguished from unbelievers, let him be anathema. Canon number eight says, If anyone said to the sacraments of the new law grace is not conferred ex opere operto, but That faith alone in the divine promise is sufficient to obtain grace, let him be anathema. Now, I want you to understand, here at the Underground Christian Network, we believe in keeping things simple. So, what these canon laws of the Roman Catholic Church are saying is, salvation is by works, not through the faith, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they teach salvation through sacraments, namely baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, penance, extreme unction, order, and matrimony, rather than salvation by the grace of God through faith and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that is not Christian. That is not Christian doctrine at all. But in our modern day, the Roman Catholic Church is made to look as if it is Christian. The reason I'm bringing this up is we're about to take a look now at the roots of where the new Bibles came from. And what you're going to find is a strong Roman Catholic connection in every single turn. It appears that this is the Roman Catholic Church's way of trying to lure Orthodox traditional Christianity into the Church of Rome. And it appears they're trying to do it by changing the Bible version by version until Christians begin to accept the teachings of other religions and Roman Catholicism. Let's start at the roots first of all and find out where we got our Bible from. God spoke to men and men wrote down what God told them to write, word for word. These handwritten pieces are known as manuscripts. These manuscripts were written on various different kinds of material, but these materials over time would deteriorate away. So before they would deteriorate away, these manuscripts would have to be copied. The Jewish people were given the responsibility to copy these manuscripts, and they were faithful to do their job, and they did. As these copies were being made, they were also being distributed out. And this is where some of the problems came. Some of these manuscripts ended up in the hands of people that respected the Word of God, while other other manuscripts ended up in the hands of people that did not respect the Word of God. For so those manuscripts that ended up in the hands of people that did respect the Word of God, they didn't change the manuscripts. They would make copies on occasion, but they would not change what the manuscript said. While on the other hand, those manuscripts that ended up in the hands of people that did not respect the Word of God, they would change the manuscripts to make the manuscripts fit whatever their religious philosophical or political views or whatever happened to be and what we have today is we have a battle between these two different as I call them streams of manuscripts we have the pure stream of manuscripts Old and New Testament that were not changed and then you have the corrupted stream of manuscripts of the Old and New Testament which were changed the Old Testament to what have been written in Hebrew if you have an Old Testament manuscript that is not in Hebrew you always go back to the Hebrew to make sure that things are right you want to see what's been changed what's been modified what's been altered you always go back to the Hebrew if a manuscript that you have is not Hebrew if it's any other language you go back to the Hebrew to find out what may have been changed what you're going to discover is that there are major, major changes between where the King James Bible came from and where the New Bibles came from. Before we begin there, I want to touch on something about the age of manuscripts. As I mentioned, the original manuscripts of the Bible were written on perishable material. It's all they had. So they had to copy and copy and copy and copy the manuscripts to make sure that every generation would have them. Because these manuscripts were being used so much, the original manuscripts wore out. Just as any book, if it's used every day, it's going to wear out. But it was okay for the original manuscripts to wear out because by the time they wore out, there may already be 50, 60, 90, 100, or maybe more copies of the original available. Then they'll start making copies of the copies. And the copies of the copies will begin to wear out, but that's okay because by then we're multiplying the manuscripts. So my point is, the original manuscripts of the Bible never had a chance to grow old because they were being used. If you run into an ancient manuscript that is intact, not falling apart, or only partially falling apart, but mostly intact, what that means is that that manuscript was not being used. Odds are it was put on a shelf or it was hidden somewhere, but it was not being used because if it was being used, it would deteriorate away. The climate of this earth would not permit manuscripts to last for long periods of time unless it's been stored somewhere and not being used. So we're going to take a look and see where the King James Bible came from, and then we're going to take a look and see where the other Bibles came from and see if they come from the same place. Because, after all, we're told there's no major difference between the King James Bible and the other Bibles, so if there is a major difference, I think you should know. Let's begin. We're going to begin with the King James Bible. Where did the King James Bible come from? Well, the Old Testament of the King James Bible is translated from the traditional Old Testament Hebrew Jewish manuscripts known as the Masoretic Text. These are the Old Testament manuscripts that were handed down from generation to generation. The King James Bible's New Testament was translated from a group of manuscripts known as the Textus Receptus. The Textus Receptus is the traditional New Testament manuscripts that were handed down from generation to generation. We believe in keeping it simple here at the Underground Christian Network, so Textus Receptus simply means the received text. These are the manuscripts of the New Testament. That were handed down from generation to generation and received by each generation as being the word of God in Greek. So the King James Bible contains the traditional Old Testament Hebrew, the traditional New Testament Greek, and it also comes from a third source. Now I have an advantage over many when it comes to the Bible in that I own a King James Bible that is over 300 years old. I have it right here in front of me. Now, even though it's a King James Bible, clearly, you will not find written anywhere in this Bible the words King James Version. You see, back in those days, there was no such thing as a version. You see, version is like opinions. You have yours, I have mine, she has hers, he has his. But God's Word is not subject to our opinion. What the King James Bible translators were interested in was letting us know exactly what the manuscripts had to say not telling us what to think about what the manuscripts said but simply telling us what they said now as the King James Bible was translated they did something else and this is what it says in the front of this more than 300 year old Bible it says the Holy Bible containing the Old Testament and the new newly translated out of original tongues and the former translations diligently compared and revised by His Majesty's special command." Now what that's saying is, as they translated the King James Bible, they had with them the Bibles that were translated before the King James Bible. That way they could go back and take a look at what other Bible translations had to say about these very same verses. You know, it makes me laugh when people come to me and say, well, if you believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, then where was the Bible before 1611? You see, when somebody asks me a question like that, it just shows me they haven't done their homework. Because if they had, they would know that the King James Bible contains within it the best of the translations that came out before it, as well as being an accurate translation in and of itself. So it's said that the King James Bible contains about 4% of the Wakehurst Bible, 18% of the Tyndale Bible, 13% of the Coverdale Bible, 19% of the Geneva Bible, 4% of the Bishops Bible, and 3% from all other preceding translations. And 33% of the King James Bible is unique unto itself. And here's some examples of some of those that were brought over. I give you Dr. David Cloud.
1: It's a masterpiece of Bible translation. It amazingly conforms to the Hebrew and Greek. Its English is peerless. It has been called the miracle of English prose. When the Oxford University Press published the literary guide to the Bible in 1987, they chose the King James Bible for the literary analysis of the books. And they said our reasons for doing so must be obvious. It is the version most English readers associate with the literary qualities of the Bible, and it is still arguably the version that best preserves the literary effects of the original languages. Thank you, Harvard University. It incorporated all of the best of those English Bibles that preceded it, and then molded them into one masterpiece. It did that. It's the product of 230 years of translation work, Coming out of the tires of persecution. From Tyndale, we have phrases like peacemaker, Passover, long suffering, and scapegoat. The Lord's anointing, flowing with milk and honey, filthy lucre, the salt of the earth. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Tyndale's words. Old Coverdale gave us tender mercies, loving kindness, pride of life the valley of the shadow of death. The Geneva Bible gave us vanity of vanities and except the man be born again and smite them hip and thigh and remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And the Bishop's Bible gave us the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Recognize that? And less than the least of all the saints. And sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In fact, from Wycliffe we have still many things. Like, he gave up the ghost. It's a Wycliffe's words. Well stricken in age. He held his peace. Those are Wycliffe's words. Three score and ten. Straight is the gate. And narrow the way. Wycliffe's words. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. Those are from Wycliffe. And King James translators took all of this. They didn't change a lot and molded it into one masterpiece. I wonder how they did that. So as you see, the King James Bible contains within it the best
0: of the translations that came out before it. So let's sum it up for the King James Bible. It's from the traditional Hebrew Old Testament. The traditional Greek New Testament and it was diligently compared with the earlier translations that came out before it so that when you have a King James Bible you haven't lost anything you've actually gained the best of what the earlier translations had to say as well as the accurate translation of the Hebrew and Greek you have the total package but now let's move on to the new Bible versions now remember our premise, we are told that there is no major difference between our King James Bible and the New Bibles. So you would think that the New Bibles would come from the same place as our King James Bible. At least that's the, uh, the idea that the promoters of the New Translations are trying to present. I was checking out a Bible recently, and as I was reading some of the footnotes in there, they were trying to give the reader the impression that the new Bible versions are simply clearer, to, you know, easier to understand of versions of the King James, when that's simply not the case. Stop for a moment, take a deep breath, because what you're about to hear is where the new Bibles actually come from. Many of you are going to find this information hard to believe. But I challenge you all to do as I've done to do as Gail Ripplinger has done, to do as Dr. D.A. Waite has done, to do as Dr. Samuel Giff has done, to do as Dr. David Cloud has done, to do as so many others have done. Look into this for yourself and see if it's true. Don't have an emotional reaction and say, oh, this just can't be true, this is just too much. Look into it like we did. I was as shocked as you would be when I found these things out. So I'm spreading the word on to you so that you can tell others. These new Bibles are made to look like genuine Bibles. But when you get below the surface to the roots of where these new Bibles come from, you begin to uncover something very dark and very dangerous. This is where the new Bibles come from. Five sources. Source number one is called Codex Vaticanus. Now, I'm going to try to keep this as simple as I can. Vaticanus is just a fancy word because this particular manuscript series was found in the library of the Pope of Rome in the Vatican. This is the manuscript from which the Roman Catholic Bible comes from. So, the first major change is the new Bibles are translated from a Roman Catholic manuscript, not from a Christian manuscript. So what do we know about Vaticanus? Well, first of all, it does not have a traditional Old Testament Hebrew manuscript. Its Old Testament is in Greek. It contains both Old and New Testament, but this manuscript has been modified. It has been changed. It has been altered. And it appears the changes that they have made were done in order to make this manuscript conform to the Roman Catholic belief system. What I mean by that is this when you look at the vaticanus manuscript you discover there's a lot missing let's take a look at the things that they've taken out genesis chapter 1 verse 1 through genesis 4628 has been deleted out now stop and think for a moment what all that consists of creation's been deleted the fall of man deleted the introduction of satan deleted God's promise for a coming Messiah deleted, the flood of Noah has been deleted, the life of Abraham has been deleted, and the rise of the Jewish people has been deleted. Psalms 106 to Psalms 138 deleted. All these great psalms of worship and praise to our God deleted out of the Vaticanus manuscripts. 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus deleted. Out of Vaticanus manuscript Hebrews 914 through 1325 deleted from the Vaticanus manuscript and of course the entire book of Revelation deleted from the Roman Catholic manuscript so what you find here is a manuscript that has been heavily altered to fit the Roman Catholic belief system When you look at the passages that have been deleted out, such things as there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, well, that's part of the books that was taken out. Because in the Roman Catholic Church, they teach there are many mediators. They teach that the Pope's a mediator. They teach that the priests are mediators. And they teach that Mary is a mediatrix. They've also deleted out The book of Revelation, which identifies what it calls the whore of Babylon as one who is seated on seven mountains that's drunk on the blood of the saints. And when you look at the history of the Roman Catholic Church, you will find that it fits the Roman Catholic Church history. Also, in the passages that have been taken out, you will find where the Bible teaches that the bishop is to be the husband of one wife. Well, that's gone because in the Roman Catholic Church they teach that their priests are not allowed to marry so these manuscripts called Vaticanus has been altered to make it fit the Roman Catholic belief system these are some other things you need to know about Vaticanus in the Gospels alone there's 748 entire sentences that are missing 452 clauses are missing and at least 237 words have been deleted out. And that's just the four Gospels. Vaticanus also contains those extra books called the Apocrypha 1st and 2nd Maccabees. And in place of the book of Revelation, they have a book called the Shepherd of Hermes. Now, Hermes is another name for Satan. So they take out the Christian book of Revelation and replaces it with the Shepherd of Hermes. Now, why would you want to go to this manuscript to find biblical truth? This manuscript was found in the Library of the Pope of Rome around 1481. The second manuscript the New Bibles come from is called Codex Sinaiticus. This was discovered in 1844 by a man by the name of Constantine Tischendorf at a Roman Catholic monastery called St. Catherine's. Now, St. Catherine's is a very strange place. It's located at the traditional but not the real location of Mount Sinai. The Roman Catholic Church had a monastery built there, and the monks were there tampering with the manuscripts. Now, this particular manuscript called Codex Sinaiticus Constantine Tischendorf found these manuscripts in the garbage. These manuscripts had been thrown away. The monks, having altered these manuscripts and altered them and altered them, these manuscripts were no longer any good. The monks knew they were no longer any good, so they threw it into the trash pile. When Constantine Tischendorf came along, he rummaged through their garbage, trying to find something of worth, and he found these manuscripts. Ignoring the fact they are in the garbage, he took them, Later returning to St. Catherine's Monastery and asking them if they had more manuscripts, they gave him more manuscripts in the hope that he'd bring them back, but he never did. These manuscripts ended up being sold, and they made their way to Russia and to England. Now, when you do the tail of the tape of this Sinaiticus manuscript, this is what you learn. When you compare the Sinaiticus manuscripts... With the traditional Old Testament Hebrew Masoretic text that the King James Bible comes from, and the traditional New Testament Greek textus receptus that the King James Bible comes from, these are some of the changes you will notice when you compare it to Sinaiticus. There's about 9,000 changes in the text, amounting in one difference in every verse. It omits some 4,000 words from the Gospels, adds a 1,000, repositions 2,000, and alters another 1,000. It has approximately 1,500 readings that appear in no other manuscript, and this affects nearly 3,000 words. That's some pretty major changes, ladies and gentlemen. No wonder it was thrown in the garbage. These are some of the things that were deleted. The end of the book of Mark and the end of the book of John deleted you'll notice in a lot of the new versions they delete the end of the book of mark claiming that the oldest and best or the most reliable manuscripts don't contain it well when they talk about the oldest and best or the most reliable believe it or not they're talking about this manuscript that was found in the garbage sign and the vaticanus manuscript the roman catholic manuscript those are the two that they classify as the oldest and the best, so always be looking out for that when you see that appearing in footnotes. It's very deceptive. More stuff that's been deleted: 29 words from John 19, verse 20 and 21; 21. 21 words from John 25 and 6; 19 words from Mark one thirty-two to 34; 14 words from Mark 15:47; John 5:4; Matthew 16:2 and 3; Romans 16:24. Mark 16:9 through 20, 1st John 5, 7, Acts 8:37, Genesis 23:19 through 24 and verse 46, Numbers 5:27 through 7:20, 1st Chronicles 9:27 through 19:27, Exodus, 1st and 2nd Joshua, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Hosea, Amos, Micah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Judges, all deleted. In Luke 8, for example, 19 out of 34 words are changed. In Matthew chapter 1, 60 words are changed. And this manuscript also has apocryphal books in it, those extra books, some of those extra books that appear in the Roman Catholic Bible. It contains Baal and the Dragon, Tobit, Judith, the Epistle of Barnabas, and the Shepherd of Hermes, among others. So what we have here is a manuscript that has been heavily, heavily edited, to the point that the monks threw it away. They threw it in the garbage. It was no longer any good. So why then do the modern day scribes, the modern day translators, consider this Cyanaticus manuscript as the best, as the most reliable? Why do they consider Vaticanus? as the oldest and best do you know that the Sinaiticus manuscript and the Vaticanus manuscript and the four gospels alone Matthew Mark Luke and John they contradict each other more than two thousand times they don't even agree with each other why because you have one group over here in the Vatican that's altering the manuscripts one way you have one group over here in Alexandria Egypt over here in st. Catherine's monastery area they're uh, modifying the manuscripts in another area. So you have manuscripts that contradict. And what this does with the modern-day Bible translators, they can come up with multiple different versions and still say, we have manuscript support for our views, even though the versions of the Bible, as we saw at the beginning of this message, the versions contradict each other. Now you're starting to see why they contradict each other, because they are translated from these manuscripts that are translated, altered, mixed up, stuff edited, stuff taken out, stuff added from this side of the world. And then on the other side of the world, here's another group that are changing, modifying, taking this out, taking that out, adding this and adding that. And when you put them all together, they don't match. But it doesn't matter to the modern-day translators because it gives them a wide-open door to come out with a whole bunch of versions. Now, let's take a look at the third source where the New Bibles come from. Talk about ancient sources. This one certainly is not one. This is called the Westcott and Hort New Testament Manuscripts. Now, Westcott and Hort, their names are Brooke Foss, F-O-S-S, Westcott, and Fenton John Anthony Hort. These two men lived in the 1800s, and I know many of you are going to find this hard to believe, but once again, just simply look them up. They have autobiographies left behind that you can read called The Life and Letters of Westcott and The Life and Letters of Court. You can get online and find out tons of information about these guys and confirm that what I'm telling you is true. These men were not Christians. They were into the occult, witchcraft, Satan worship, Lucifer worship. They were members of a group in England called the Hermes Club, Now, what did we learn just a few minutes ago about Hermes? Hermes is another name for Satan. These men were Lucifer worshippers. They also put together a society of their own called the Ghostly Guild, where they dealt in seances and communication with the dead and things like that. They also helped train a woman by the name of Madame Helena Blavowski who later went on to create the Theosophical Society, which is still going on today. And the Theosophical Society is all about teaching people to worship Lucifer. Now, these are some of the beliefs of Westcott and Hort. They did not believe in miracles. Westcott writes in 1847, quote, I never read an account of a miracle, but I seem instinctively to feel it's improbability and discover some one of evidence in the account of it." Unquote. So they don't believe in miracles. Well, the virgin birth is out, the deity of Christ is out, the bodily resurrection is out, the future return of Jesus Christ is out. Uh, these guys uh, certainly don't have Christian views. Next one, they did not believe in the infallibility of Scripture. They did not believe in supernatural creation. Hort writes to Westcott in 1860, Quote. Have you read Darwin? How I should like to talk with you about it. In spite of the difficulties, I am inclined to think it's unanswerable. In any case, it is a treat to read such a book, So they didn't believe in creation. They fits right in with the uh, Vaticanus manuscript, which deletes the creation story. They didn't believe in the power of the atonement. They were anti-Protestant and pro-Catholic. They believed in the necessity of purgatory. They also had communistic views as they spoke strongly against democracy. They believed in praying for the dead. They believed in Mary worship. They believed in sacraments. They believed in baptismal regeneration. And they openly acknowledged in their writings that they knew what they were doing would be considered as heresy the Christians. So, what these men did is from the 1850s to 1881, they sat down and they wrote their own New Testament manuscript in Greek. In 1881, they presented their manuscript to the scholars of their day, and something major happened in 1881 that has affected Christianity ever since. The scholars decided to accept Westcott and Hort's counterfeit New Testament manuscript as genuine. That's number one. And number two, the scholars abandoned the manuscripts the King James Bible was translated from. So I want you to understand the next statement, ladies and gentlemen. All the new Bibles, all of them, that have been translated since 1881 come from Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, and Westcott and Hort. The King James Bible stands alone as being the Bible that is translated from the traditional Old Testament Hebrew and the traditional New Testament Greek. Now, some may say, but what about the New King James? Isn't the New King James translated from the traditional Old Testament Hebrew and the traditional New Testament Greek? No, it's not. It's partially translated from the Old uh, Hebrew and the Greek. What they do, though, is they interchange the traditional Old Testament Hebrew and Greek with these counterfeit manuscripts of Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, and Westcott, and Hort, and they don't tell you where they've done it. They also, in their footnotes, refer back to Westcott and Hort, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus when they say things like the oldest and best manuscripts this, the most reliable manuscripts that, the most ancient manuscripts this. They're quoting back to Vaticanus and Sinaiticus to give people the impression that these other manuscripts are to be preferred over the traditional Hebrew and Greek. And it's very deceptive when they do this because they advertise the New King James as being translated from the same manuscripts as the Old King James, when in actuality, it's not. The next source the New Bibles come from, number four, is called the Nestle Allen Manuscript Series. Now, this Nestle Allen Manuscript Series appears to be under the control of a committee of men. And many of these men have very questionable views that don't sound very Christian. One of the men on the committee is a man by the name of Carlo Maria Martini. Carlo Maria Martini is a Roman Catholic cardinal. He's such a high-ranking Roman Catholic, in fact, that when Pope John Paul died, many people thought that Carlo Maria Martini would become the next pope. And the door is still open that he may still become the next pope after Benedict. Uh, Kurt Allen, another man that's on this committee, whenever I hear talk of Kurt Allen, he's often identified as an apostate, one who rejects many of the basic doctrines of Christianity. When you look at the history and background of the men behind this nestle Allen manuscript, you discover that most of them have views that do not agree with Christianity at all. So when you have men like this that are operating at, and putting together these manuscripts from which the new Bibles come from, why would you want to trust these men with your Bible? When you can have a King James Bible, which doesn't have any kind of connection whatsoever with the Roman Catholic Vaticanus, the Roman Catholic Synaticus, the occultic manuscripts of Westcott and Hort, and these manuscripts put together by uh, Nessel Allen Group. Another problem with the Nessel Allen manuscripts is that these manuscripts are unstable. What I mean by that is this. Every few years, they update and change the Nestle Allen manuscripts. When they do, they have to update and change the new Bible versions that are written from the Nestle Allen manuscripts. So, how are you going to memorize your Bible when your Bible is translated from manuscripts that keep changing every few years? Just about the time you think you got your Bible memorized, they come out with a new edition of the Nestle Allen manuscript, then they have to update the Bible that you're reading, and you got to re-memorize again. Now, God's Word doesn't change like that. Man's Word changes like that. The King James Bible hasn't had to go through any changes in a long, long time, but the Nestle Allen Manuscript, as of the time I'm putting together this message, I understand is up to their 27th edition. So some 27 or so times they've had to keep changing this manuscript, flipping it and flopping it, and having to update the new Bibles that are translated from it. So the New American Standard is translated from one edition of the Nestle Allen, while the NIV is translated from another, and future versions will be translated from another edition of Nestle Allen. How can you trust it? You never know from day to day what it's going to say. You have a choice. You can stick with these man-made Bibles, so-called, or you can stick with the King James Bible, which has a long history of being honest Trustworthy, tried and true, it doesn't pull any punches, it tells it like it is, it means what it says, it says what it's all about, and it doesn't leave any back doors open for people to come up with private interpretations or doctrine. These new Bibles, on the other hand, leave plenty of doors open for people to come up with private interpretation and contradictions. The next source and the last source the new Bibles come from is what I call the mystery assortment of manuscripts. Now what I mean by that is this. When the modern-day scribes, the modern-day translators, can't find a manuscript that will agree with their views, they'll simply write one. They'll simply make up one. Let me give you an example. There are people walking around today with an NIV Old Testament interlinear, and this Old Testament interlinear is in Hebrew. Now, what's wrong with that statement? Well, if you've been following along, you would know that the new Bible versions, including the NIV, is not translated from an Old Testament Hebrew. It is instead translated from the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus manuscripts, which both have Old Testament Greek manuscripts, not the traditional Old Testament Hebrew. So where did the NIV get this Hebrew from? Because there are no manuscripts on the face of the earth that reads like the NIV does. So how did they come up with an Old Testament Hebrew for the NIV? To explain, I give you Gail Ripplinger.
2: A couple of warnings about things that are floating around out there. And I'm going go on about the New King James. Um, there's some interlinear Bibles floating around there. There's one in Old Testament interlinear by John Kohlenberger called the NIV interlinear. Well, you read that and look at the Hebrew and it says... Um, this is the Hebrew word, and this is the English word, and they go, "Oh boy, then NIV is just perfectly matching the Hebrew text." What you don't know is he translated the NIV into Hebrew. So when you go to a bookstore today and you buy an NIV interlinear, he—I tra- debated him incidentally. Oh, not a pretty sight. The NIV interlinear, he translated it into Hebrew. No Hebrew text in the world reads like that.
0: So there you have it, the background behind the NIV Interlinear, a counterfeit Hebrew manuscript. So let's sum up the new Bibles. They come from about five sources. The Vaticanus Manuscript found in the Library of the Pope of Rome. The Sinaiticus Manuscript found in the garbage dump of a Roman Catholic monastery. One more thing you should know about this monastery, by the way, there's a garden area out there in that monastery of St. Catherine's, it's a section out there which is called the Charnel House. If you've ever been to St. Catherine's Monastery you'll never forget the Charnel House because in this place you will find stacks and stacks and stacks of human skulls. I went to one of the uh, Egyptian tourism websites to take a look at St. Catherine's Monastery and to my surprise, there were pictures of this place with the skulls. And here's what one of them has to say at SinaiNet.com. In their section under St. Catherine, spelt with a K, and the Charnell House, spelled Charnel House, spelt C H A R N E L House, it says this Over the centuries, thousands of monks have lived and died within the walls of St. Catherine's Monastery. Because the monastery's small cemetery is not enough to accommodate their remains, the monks are later re-exhumed and their bones placed in the crypt beneath the chapel of St. Trofino, a place also known as the Charnel House. There is probably no better way to grasp the enduring legacy of the monks than to visit the crypt and to see the piled host of skulls staring back through eons of silence. I don't think this is a place you would want to go to find Christian manuscripts where they take you, bury you, dig you up, and take your skull off and put it in a pile. I've heard of getting ahead, but I don't think this is quite what they meant. The next source the new Bibles come from is the Westcott and Hort manuscript put together by two witches from the 1800s. These two men conspired to do major damage against Christianity by coming up with a counterfeit New Testament manuscript, which they published in 1881. And every single new Bible version, their New Testaments come from Westcott and Hort. The King James Bible alone stands as being not translated from the Westcott and Hort for its New Testament. The next one is the Nestle Allen Manuscript Series, put together by a group of men whose manuscripts keep changing every few years. And as they change the manuscripts, they got to keep changing the new Bibles to make it fit the new manuscripts. They're unstable. Many of the men in the group are not Christians and do not have Christian views. Why would you want to trust these men with your Bible? And lastly, the mystery assortment of manuscripts consisting of translators and scribes who write their own manuscripts. Let me touch on one more of these newly written manuscripts just so that people don't be confused when they see these things in the footnotes. Another one of the newly created manuscripts that's out there uh, they wrote rather recently and here's why they wrote it. The King James Bible is translated from the majority of available manuscripts. Between 97 and 99% of available manuscripts agree with the King James Bible. Only between 5 to 7% agree with the new Bibles. Now, since the King James Bible is translated from the majority of manuscripts, but the people who are behind the new Bibles want you to put your faith in the new Bibles, they decided to come up with a new manuscript. So what they did is they took about 470 manuscripts, according to my research, and from these 470, they wrote an entirely brand new manuscript. And what did they call this new manuscript they wrote? Well, they called it majority text. Now, of all the words to call a manuscript, why would they call this manuscript of about 470 manuscripts, which is not a majority, because the King James Bible, New Testament, is translated from more than 5,200 manuscripts. 470 is not anywhere near a majority of 5,200. So why did they call... This manuscript, Majority Text. Well, I learned about it. I learned the answer when I listened to a debate with a man by the name of James White, who is strongly for the New Versions. And he was debating against Dr. D.A. Waite, who is a strong King James man. I have a lot of respect for him. And in the debate, James White, who is for the New Versions, said, Well, you know, the King James Bible doesn't agree with the Majority Text. Now, James White knows that the average Joe has no idea that there's a counterfeit manuscript out there called majority text. He knows that when the average person hears majority text, they're going to think the majority of manuscripts. They're not going to think of this manuscript on the side that they wrote. So what's happening is in the footnotes, you're going to be seeing big capital M for majority text, leading people to believe that the King James Bible doesn't agree with the majority of manuscripts, when it actually does, what the King James Bible does not agree with is the counterfeit manuscript they wrote called Majority Text. So don't let the big capital M in the footnotes scare you. It's another counterfeit mystery manuscript. So why would you want to trust these new Bibles? Now that you see where they actually came from when you can have a trustworthy tried-and-true Bible in the King James Bible why would you want these other versions easy to read easy to understand doctrinally wrong doctrinally wrong you see I've heard the same argument they give with the Harry Potter thing They says, well wow, isn't it great the children are reading but the question is what are they reading are they reading the Word of God Or are they reading a book that's glorifying witchcraft and practices that the Bible forbids? And if people out there are reading the new versions, what are they reading? Are they reading Bibles that glorify God? Or are they reading ecumenical world Bibles, which is getting Christians little by little to lay aside Christian doctrine and to embrace the doctrines of other religions? Let me show you some of the underhanded tactics that's going on out there. Some of you are not aware. The NIV is one of the most popular versions that's out there right now. But unknown to many Christians, the NIV has been up to some hijinks for quite some time. And you're about to hear what's been going on. Take a listen to this. I find it strange that many of the Christian ministers don't want to touch this topic, so the world has had to step up to the plate and expose some of these things I was looking through World Magazine and came across a series of articles that was really eye-opening they were exposing what the NIV people Zondervan Publication and the International Bible Society was attempting to do with Christians now I want you to follow this closely I'm going to keep it as simple as I can as I read for you some of these articles from World Magazines exposing what the NIV people are attempting to do world magazine March 29 1997 for them cover story the feminist seduction of the evangelical church the new international version of the Bible the best-selling English version in the world is quietly going gender neutral say goodbye to the generic he man Brother or mankind make way for people, person, brother and sister, and humankind. By the year 2000 or 2001, if the 15 member committee of the Bible translation, the NIV's controlling body, has its way, the 35% of American Bible buyers who prefer the NIV will not be able to buy a new copy of the version they trust. That may not happen, Publisher Zondervan may still choose to put out two separate versions but the decision of one committee to substitute an inclusive NIV version for the Pew Bible of choice at many evangelical churches over the past two decades is likely to transform understanding of how God views the sexes he created what's a gender neutral Bible what's a gender inclusive Bible it is a Bible that is demasculinized Gone is the masculine he, him, son, father. It's replaced with generic terms, mankind, humankind. Do you understand what these new Bibles are doing? What happens when the father is removed and replaced with father, mother? What does that do to God the Father? It makes him into the generic he, she. God, neither male nor female. Do you understand what the new Bibles are doing? Let me continue. June 14, 1997. Facing a revolt in pulpits and pews across the country, Zondervan Publication House and the International Bible Society abandoned changes in the NIV all the while maintaining the gender-neutral translation would have been more accurate. What's going on? How did it happen? How can a gender-neutral Bible be more accurate? In a surprise development, the Board of the International Bible Society announced at 7 a.m. on May 27th that it will preserve the current New International Version Bible and discontinue all plans to develop a new gender-neutral version of the NIV. The IBS board also ordered a revision of its Inclusive Language Children's Bible. Did you catch that? The grown-ups said, we want nothing to do with your generic, gender-neutral, so-called Bible. But what the grown-ups didn't know is that the NIV people already had a hook in their nose because they got them to leave the King James Bible for the NIV. So the Zondavan people, the International Bible Society people, says, Okay, fine, we already have you, but we will take your children and raise them on the gender-neutral Bible, worshiping the generic he, she. And they say here, the IBS board, the International Bible Society board, also ordered a revision of its gender-inclusive language children's Bible called the NIRV. To bring its gender usage into line with the current NIV now how many people even knew that they came out with a gender-neutral children's Bible in the NIV why would you want to put up with a company that would play underhanded games like this and feed this garbage to your children but the NIV had a plan and their plan continues to ultimately replace the NIV with the gender-neutral Bible. And it doesn't matter if you're using an NIV or if you're using the gender-inclusive NIV. If you're using these new versions, you just heard where they came from, you can't trust them. You can't trust them. It goes on to say, The IBS board also ordered a revision of its inclusive language children's Bible, the NIRV, to bring its gendered usage into line with the current NIV, and said it would ask British publishers to yank the niv inclusive language edition now being sold in britain you see they already began selling this gender-neutral garbage to the people of the uk the process has already begun but hold it a second didn't they say they were not going to release a gender-neutral bible in nineteen ninety-seven didn't they say that they had canceled the, the the thought the idea well As I just mentioned, you can't trust them. Because on the market today, you will find the NIV, gender-inclusive Bible, called TNIV, today's NIV. You see, even though they said they wasn't going to release one, they did. Here's what it says on the copy that I have here. Holy Bible. (laughs) Holy New International Version, Inclusive Language Edition. The world's most popular modern English Bible translation has been revised to provide a sensitive and balanced gender-inclusive text where terms used in the original languages refer to both men and women, but the translation to English uses a word which becomes inclusively masculine. The translation has been revised to reflect the original. Hold it. The original? The original? Is the NIV translated from the original? Old Testament Hebrew? Original New Testament Greek? Or is it translated from Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, Westcott and Hort, Nestle Allen, and the mystery manuscripts? NIV doesn't come from the originals. None of the New Bibles has their origins with the originals. So why are they trying to get us to believe that this NIV inclusive language version has anything to do with the originals of the Bible? This is all part of the deception, folks. Come on now. Hello? The NIV doesn't come from the originals. So what are they talking about? They're trying to make the NIV match the originals. If they want to make the NIV match the copies of the original, they should go back to the manuscript from which the King James Bible is translated from, but they won't. Because these guys do not have Christian views. They don't want a Christian Bible. They want an ecumenical world Bible. And they are determined one way or another to convert Christianity into no more than a watered-down, melted-down, useless religion that can be easily merged in with other religions. Now, some people ask me, well, what about the New King James? what about the New American Standard you know what about this how come people don't know how come ministers don't know how come in the seminaries they're not being taught about this well I'm finding more and more as I do research into this that many of the main brand seminaries out there are not telling people the differences in the manuscripts mainly when it comes to the New Testament The main thing that they're told about is Westcott and Hort, Westcott and Hort, and Westcott and Hort. They're not told about the Textus Receptus. As evidence and proof, I'm going to give you Dr. D.A. Waite. As he explains, he went to Dallas Theological Seminary. He spent his money to go to seminary to learn the facts. But here's what he had
3: to say about what he learned there. i tell you, when I was at Dallas Seminary for 21 years, I didn't know any difference. I was brought up and reared and raised in the the actual West Goddenhorst Greek text in my Greek department at Dallas Seminary. They never told us there was another text in Greek. They never
1: told us. That's not education. That's indoctrination. They never told us of a text of the subject. So I didn't learn even though I majored in the subject. Uh, And so uh, I had the old School reference Bible, and in my first old School field, I just crossed the word broken right out. And all the other words they told me weren't in there. It's a terrible thing because I believe the guy was right. He's wrong, dead wrong. Never cross the old school field center references on text. He's always wrong. He's always west out north.
0: And that is a lament that I hear from one minister after another after another that goes through these seminaries that they they pay full price to get half the story. So I warn you folks, we got to get back to the King James Bible. Now we're told again, there's no major difference between the new Bibles and the King James Bible. Well, again, we're going to take another look and see if it's true. We're going to take a look at their New Testament since the New Testament is where the main battle is right now. Let's compare the King James Bible's words with the words from other versions to see how they match up. When compared to the King James Bible, the NIV removes 5,219 words and 16 entire verses. The New King James, which they claim comes from the same manuscript as the Old King James, strangely omits 2,289 words. The New American Standard adds 3,561 words. The New Revised Standard omits 3,819 words and deletes 18 verses. The New American Standard deletes 17 verses. The Revised Standard omits 6,985 words and omits 25 verses. The New Century Version adds 11,114 words and deletes 16 verses. And the Living Bible, so-called, adds 17,003 words to the Bible and omits 7 verses. What words are they adding and taking away? Well, let's run down a quick list of important words of doctrine that have been taken away. And I'm going to try to keep it brief because I want to keep this message short enough to fit on a CD. So i got about uh, eight minutes. Let me see if I can squeeze all this in. The word Christ has been removed 25 times from the NIV, 34 times from the New American Standard, one time from the New King James, 32 times from the Revised Standard, 87 times from the New Revised Standard. The word Lord has been deleted 352 times from the NIV, 438 times from the New American Standard, 66 times from the New King James, 36 times from the Revised Standard, 91 times from the New Revised Standard, 299 times from the New Century Edition, and 2,368 times the word Lord has been deleted from the so-called Living Bible. The word Jesus, the name of the Lord, deleted. 64 times from the New American Standard Version, 2 times from the New King James, 53 times from the Revised Standard. The word God deleted 468 times from the NIV, 87 times from the New American Standard, 51 times from the New King James, 111 times from the Revised Standard, and 138 times from the New Revised Standard. The word Godhead, another word for Trinity, has been completely removed from the NIV. New American Standard, it has been removed once from the New King James, completely removed from the Revised Standard, the New Revised Standard, the New Century Edition, and the Living Bible. The name Lucifer, completely deleted from the NIV, New American Standard, Revised Standard, New Revised Standard, and the New Century Version. Devils have been replaced by demons. Now, there is a difference. Devils are always evil. Demons, if you look it up in the dictionary, they'll say that they are divinities. The New Age movement loves the demons because they are considered as uh, gods, with a lowercase g. Devils, on the other hand, are always evil. But in the New Bibles, devils disappear in place of the word demon, which is different. So, NIV removes devils 80 times. New America Standard, 82 times. New King James, 81 times. Revised Standard, 82 times. New Revised Standard, 80 times. New Century, 74 times, Living Bible 87 times. The Doctrine of Hell comes under attack in a major way in the New Bibles. NIV deletes Hell 40 times, the New American Standard 41 times, the New King James 22 times, Revised Standard 41 times, New Revised Standard 41 times, New Century Edition 39 times. Even Heaven comes under attack in the New Bibles. NIV deletes heaven 160 times, New American Standard 127 times, New King James deletes heaven 50 times, Revised Standard 83 times, New Revised Standard 88 times, New Century Edition deletes heaven 186 times, and the so-called living deletes it 26 times. Damned, Damnable, and Damnation. Completely deleted from the NIV, New American Standard, New King James, Revised Standard, New Revised Standard, and the New Century Version. The blood of Christ, the blood deleted from the NIV 41 times, New American Standard 39 times, New King James 23 times, Revised Standard 23 26 times, New Revised Standard 46 times, New Century Edition 157 times, and the Living so-called living bible deletes the blood 174 times salvation deleted from the niv 42 times new american standard four times new king james two times revised standard 33 times new revised standard 37 times new century version 94 times and the living bible 25 times the word of god deleted eight times from the niv 2 times from the New American Standard, 1 time from the New King James, 3 times from the Revised Standard, 8 times from the New Revised Standard, 31 times from the New Century Edition, and 27 times from the Living. The word of the Lord, deleted from the NIV 25 times, New American Standard 2 times, 2 times from the Revised Standard, 3 times from the New Revised Standard, 217 times from the New Century Edition, and 236 times the From the Living Bible. And lastly, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those three words together, deleted 24 times from the NIV, 21 times from the New American Standard, 21 times from the Revised Standard, 22 times from the New Revised Standard, 20 times from the New New Century Edition, and 15 times from the Living Bible. Now, folks, this is a lot of deletion, and these have to deal with doctrine and the person of Jesus. And all these things are taken out and come under attack in the New Versions. I want you to also understand the New King James is listed, and they tell us that the New King James is just a modern version of the Old King James. Well, let's see if that's true. First of all, the New King James is copywritten. The Old King James is not. Now, if you see a copyright on your Old King James Bible, it's because you have a King James Bible that either has footnotes cross-references, concordances, maps, or other commentary in it. The commentary or the maps or those things are the things that are copywritten. The words of the King James Bible are not copywritten. When you have a copyright, you can only use about 200 words in public uh, arena without permission from the makers of that particular book. The King James Bible, you can use the entire thing without consequence. You can print the King James Bible. It's not copyrighted. The second thing is the new King James Bible contains a symbol on its cover. It looks like three ovals that are interconnected, or three circles that are interconnected. And we Christians are told that this symbol represents the Trinity, but that's not the case, folks. This symbol has been around for quite some time in the New Age movement and in the occult, and this symbol represents 666. It's three sixes that are interconnected with each other. More things you need to know. It is estimated that the New King James makes over 100,000 translation changes, which comes to over 80 changes per page, about three changes per verse. And what they're doing is they're trying to make the New King James conform with the NIV, the Revised Standard, the American Standard, and the Jehovah's Witness New World Translation. The New King James also omits, deletes the word repent 44 times. Also deletes Jehovah completely from its pages, where did Jehovah go? Well, he didn't put his name in the New King James. The New King James demotes the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1:3. The King James says all things were made by Jesus Christ, but the New King James says all things were just made through Him. The word servant replaces son in Acts 3:13 and Acts 3:26. Servant replaces child in Acts 4:27 and Acts 4:30. And the word Jesus is removed from Mark 2.15, Hebrews 4.8, and Acts 7.45. This is clearly not the good old-fashioned King James. The new King James confuses people about salvation. In Hebrews 10.14, it replaces our sanctified with our being sanctified, and it replaces our saved with our being saved. In 1 Corinthians 1.18 and 2 Corinthians 2.15, The words may believe have been replaced with may continue to believe. And in 1 John 5.13, the old straight and narrow of Matthew 7.14 becomes difficult. Is it really difficult to be saved? Is it so difficult to believe when the Lord Jesus Christ? Why are they taking so much stuff out, yet they're claiming this is a modern version of the old King James? As far as the New American Standard is concerned... How many of you knew that the co-founder of the New American Standard Version had renounced the New American Standard Version Bible? His name is Dr. Frank Logston. He's passed away now. But when he came out with the New American Standard Version, he really stood by the New American Standard until he went and looked into it. And when he did, he discovered there's major problems with this New American Standard. And he spent the whole rest of his life going around warning people not to use the New American Standard Version. And as you listen to this, I want you to hear him once again say that even back in the early days, the so-called scholars were still promoting the Westcott and Hort counterfeit manuscript and not letting them know about the textus receptus from which the King James Bible came from. You'll hear him talk about Dr. Lockman, who co-founded the New American Standard with him. And he's going to explain to you in his own words exactly what the deal is with the New American Standard and what his views are.
3: I give you Dr. Frank Logson. Back in the, oh, when was it, 1956, 57, Mr. F. Dewey Lockman, of the Lockman Foundation, one of the dearest friends we've ever had for 25 years, big man, some 300 pounds, no white hair, one of the most terrific businessmen I've ever met. Always said he was like Nehemiah. He was building a wall, and you couldn't get in his way. When he had got his mind on something, he went right to it. Couldn't be daunted. Never saw anything like most unusual men. Very unusual. Spent weeks and weeks and weeks in their home. Real close friends of the family. Well, he, he discovered that the copyright was just as loose as the fumble ball on a football field. Nobody wanted it. The publishers didn't want it. Who wanted it? Nobody wanted. Didn't get anywhere. Mister Lachman got in touch with me and said. Uh, would, would you and Anne come out and, and spend some weeks with us, and we'll work on a feasibility report. I, I can pick up the copyright to the 1901 if it seems advisable. Well, up till that time, I thought the West Cotton Heart was the text. You, you were in, you're intelligent if you believe in the West Cotton Heart. Some of the finest people in the world believe in, in that Greek text. The finest leaders we have today. You'd be surprised if I told you you wouldn't believe it. They haven't gone into it just as I hadn't gone into it, just taking for granted. But at any rate... We went out. We started on a feasibility report, and I encouraged him to go ahead with it. I'm afraid I'm in trouble with the Lord. I encouraged him to go ahead with it. We, we we laid the groundwork. I wrote the format. I, I helped to interview some of the translators. I sat with the translators. I wrote the preface. When you see the New American Standard, they're my words. Well, when I got my copy, I got one of the 50 deluxe copies that were printed. Mine was number seven, blue, light blue cover. But it was a big, rather big, and I couldn't carry it with me. And I I never really looked at it. I just took for granted. It was done as we started it, you know, until some of my friends across the country began to learn that I had some part in it. And they started saying, what about this? What about this? Especially Dr. David Otis Fuller in Grand Rapids. I've known him for 35 years. He'd say, he always called me Frank. I called him Duke. He said, Frank, what about this? You had part in it. What what about this? What about this? Well, first of all, now wait a minute. Let's don't go overboard. Let's don't be too pretty. You know how you justify yourself the last minute. I got to the place. I said to Ann, I'm in trouble. I can't refute these arguments. It's wrong. It's terribly wrong. It is frightfully wrong. And what am I going to do about it? Well, I went through heart search, uh, some real soul searching for about four months. I don't know. I think about four months. And I sat down and wrote the most difficult letter of my life, I think. And I wrote to my friend Dewey, and I said, Dewey, I don't want to add to your problems. Lost his wife some three years ago. I was there for the funeral. His doctor had made a mistake in operating on the cataract. He lost the sight of one eye, and then had to have an operation on the other, he had a slight heart attack, had sugar diabetes, man, 74 years of age. But I wrote and said, I can no longer ignore these criticisms I'm hearing, and I can't refute them. The only thing I can do, and dear brother, I have nothing against you, and I can witness at the judgment seat of Christ, and before men were ever go that you were 100% sincere. He's not a translator. He's not, he's not schooled in language learning. He's just a businessman. He did the promoting. He had the money. He did the promoting. So I, I said, he did it conscientiously. He wanted absolutely right. He thought it was right. I guess nobody pointed out some of these things to him when it was finished. But nevertheless, I said, I must, under God, renounce every attachment to the new american standard i have a copy of the letter in fact i have his letter showed it to some people the robert saw it mike saw it stating that he was bowled over that he was shocked beyond words said that's putting it mildly but he said i'll write you in a few weeks
0: now how many of you knew that the co-founder of the new american standard version had renounced it how many ministers have stood up on their pulpits and warned Christians not to use the New American Standard? This man in his message, if you want to hear the entire message, you can hear the entire message at the Underground Christian Network at Musical Gardens with a S at the end. Musical Gardens dot at the Underground Christian Network. You'll find a sermon under the title of Rejecting the New American Standard. This is an eye opening investigation but this information today is covered up when you contact the people who are in charge of the new american standard today they either try to downplay dr logston's position there or they say they don't know the man at all it's amazing as i wrote in my little note there at my uh, underground christian network link i guess when you're making millions of dollars a year it sort of clouds the memory a little bit they don't want to stop that money from coming in you see Another thing these new Bibles have behind them is some very powerful people that should know better. They should know. Nonetheless, they stand up and they promote these counterfeit Bibles, and I'm left scratching my head, saying, "For goodness sakes, if me, a nickel and dimer, bottom of the totem pole, God, it doesn't even doesn't even log on radar, can figure this out? How come a big name like Chuck Swindoll can't figure it out?" I heard recently that he was going to be doing a message on the Bible, so I decided to tune in and listen. And what he said, just I just couldn't believe it. Now, I'm not here to try to attack anybody, but he's one of the biggest names out there that uses the new versions. Him and Charles Stanley and various others uses these other Bibles, and they have these big names behind them. But this particular message I was listening to by Pastor Chuck Swindoll really got my attention, so I decided to record a small segment of it and let you hear what he had to say based on what you just heard from Dr. Logston about the New American Standard and how wrong in doctrine and various things the New American Standard is, take a listen to what Pastor Chuck Swindoll has to say. Second,
2: we can read it. We can read God's Word. It's in our language. It's in a number of different versions and paraphrases. Don't get caught up in the fight over which version is the only one. Don't let yourself go there. Some are better than others. You will form the best opinions. The more studious and careful you become, you will find which version works best for you. I use the new American Standard Version, uh, Expanded Edition, the Ryrie Study Bible. It just works well for me. It's got a nice set of maps in the back when I get the sections that I'm reading that mention places. If you've got a Bible that doesn't have maps, you need another Bible. You need a serious Bible. When you're little, you had Bibles with pictures in them. Now that you're grown up, you don't need pictures. You need maps. You You need study aids. If you're still carrying a Bible with pictures in them, it's okay. Just put it on a shelf and Talk about how that was a wonderful Bible when you were a kid, but now you've gotten a study Bible. Or one with large enough print for you to be able to enjoy it without having to extend your arm another yard. So, so get get a Bible you can read. Now, this leads me to study. This is a third level. You can hear it with no effort at all. Just sit, listen, and move on.
0: In a very short period of time, in that little segment, he covered so much stuff that is so common in the ecumenical mindset of today. Number one, in the modern-day ecumenical movement, it's all about finding a Bible that works for you. Not what thus saith the Lord, but a Bible that works for you. I find a problem with that. Because if I found a Bible that worked for me, I probably would go for a so-called modern translation because they're so soft on sin, it wouldn't make me feel convicted about sin. But the King James Bible is not going to sit back and give you a nice soft pillow to rest your head on, believing that you're okay in your sin. Second, he says don't get involved in the debate over which Bible is the only Bible. Uh, What is he talking about? Why don't he want people to look into what you're listening to right now? That's what I'd like to know. Thirdly, did you notice a slight attack against the King James Bible in code? When you were young, you had a Bible with pictures in it. How many of you, when you were younger, had King James Bibles that had pictures in it? And I want you to notice he's talking to a grown-up crowd in front of him, and he says, "Some of you now have Bibles with pictures in it. Put it on the shelf. You don't think he's grown up to carrying around children's Bibles. What do you think he's talking about? These are the little subtle attacks on the King James Bible, and it's uncalled for now that you know where these new Bibles come from. Maybe he just doesn't know. I'm not attacking the man. I'm just letting you see." some of the high-powered guns that are firing against the King James Bible, and whether they know or not, they are responsible for what the people hear based on what they teach, and if what they're teaching is wrong, somebody's got to stand up and say something. I like Chuck Swindoll, he's, and he's never done nothing wrong to me you know, personally, but this, this doctrine, this find-a-Bible-that-works-for-you nonsense has got to stop I need a Bible that says, Thus saith the Lord, whether you like it or not, not user-friendly, uh, fluff Bible that's not going to give me the whole story, that's going to be translated from occultic and Roman Catholic manuscripts and all this stuff. Give me the real thing. And he also says, Find a serious Bible. Well, obviously, Dr. Logsdon didn't think the New American Standard was a serious Bible, and he's the co-founder of it. He rejects it. I thought you should know. Now, I'm going to draw this message to a close with a couple of more things. When people say modern Bibles, they often think NIV, New American Standard, or New King James. Some of you are totally unaware of some of the other so-called modern Bibles that are out there, but the teenagers are and the young people are, and what they're trying to do is make custom-made Bibles for various different kinds of people. So what they have done in our modern day has been reducing the Bible down with each new version to being more and more and more irrelevant. Because all of these new versions contradict each other, uh, speak over top of each other, that they don't agree with each other, and it just waters down the whole thing to where people say, you know, what does it matter what the Word of God says? Because you can't figure out which one is, unless you got a King James Bible and have done your homework and found out that the King James Bible is the Word of God in the English language, but in our modern day, that's not what they're doing. They're dumbing the Bible down. Ever heard of something called Revolve? Revolve is one of the so-called modern versions that have taken off like a rocket among teenagers. Thomas Nelson Publishers went out and focus group teenagers and asked them what they thought of the Bible, and they got back from the teenagers that they considered the Bible to be a freaky book that they were too embarrassed to carry around in their bags. So Thomas Nelson Publishers, rather than getting these people's head on straight and letting them know about the sacrifices that was made to get us the King James Bible in our language, instead they decide to dumb the Bible down to the level of a magazine called Revolve and Refuel. Revolve Magazine It's supposed to be the entire New Testament, but they use what's called the New Century Version. Now, if you remember earlier, I went through a list of things that have been omitted out of the Century Version. Why would you want to trust that version as being your Bible? But even more, this Revolve, as they call it, and Refuel, which is the uh, male version which is marketed to males between the ages of 12 and 17. Revolve is marketed to females between the ages of 12 and 17. It doesn't look like a Bible. It doesn't read like a Bible. It looks like a magazine. If you put it on the shelf with a whole bunch of other magazines, you wouldn't be able to tell which one was supposed to be this supposed Bible because it looks just like a magazine. Smiling faces on the cover, color schemes. On the inside it has uh, top ten list, David Letterman style top ten list, It has beauty secrets and advertisements and uh, blabs and all kinds of weird stuff in a Bible. It makes a mockery out of the Word of God. And by Thomas Nelson Publisher's sister company called Transit Books, putting this thing in magazine form, well, magazines, like a newspaper, has a short shelf life which means they'll have to come out with Revolve 2, which they already have. And then there'll be Revolve 3 and Revolve 4 and Revolve 5, and they'll just keep on milking this until people finally get tired of it. That's another one of the so-called modern Bibles that's out here today, marketed to the kids. There's another out called Magnify. Looks like a comic book. Marketed to the kids. Luring the people, getting them further and further away from the true Word of God. And how long, my Christian friends, are we going to stand for this? How long are you going to sit back and say, okay, great, you know, another nice message and everything, but, uh, you know, pass the NIV? It gets a little frustrating, folks. But at least I'm letting you know. I want to close this down with just a few verses from the Bible to let you see some things that have been changed as we conclude what our basic bottom line is. They told us there was no major difference between the King James Bible and the other versions. Well, let's take a look at some doctrinal passages very quick, and we'll shut this thing down, and I'll leave the ball in your court, and I'll walk off the field. The Virgin Birth. King James Bible says Isaiah seven fourteen, therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign: behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. In the New Revised Standard, Virgin is gone, replaced with Young Woman. In the New World Translation, which is the Jehovah's Witness version. Virgin is also gone, and replaced with maiden. Luke 2.33 says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. That's what the King James Bible says. But the NIV says the child's father and mother. That's an attack on the virgin birth, folks. Joseph was not Jesus' literal father. The New America Standard Version also says his father. The Revised New Revised Standard Version says the child's father. And the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they just totally hate Jesus in that religion. They don't even give him the benefit of being proper. They put its father. They identified Jesus as it its father. How about preservation of the Word of God? The King James Bible in Psalms twelve, six, and seven says, The words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. While well, the new Bibles and the people behind them do not believe God promised to preserve his actual words. Because if they did, they wouldn't be able to keep writing version after version after version after version. They wouldn't be able to. They could only come up with one translation per language. So in order to cover for themselves, they actually changed the verse of the Bible where God promised to preserve his word. Let's take a look. The NIV says, you will keep us safe. The New American Standard reads, Thou will preserve him. The newer bystander says, You, O Lord, will protect us. The Living Bible says, You will forever preserve your own. They completely removed the reference of God preserving his word to cover for themselves. Did Jesus have an origin? Did he originate? Or has he already always existed? The King James Bible reads, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though, thou be thou thou though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of he shall he come forth. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. But... Not in the New Bibles, nope. They strand Jesus, they trap him within the constraints of time, claiming that he has an origin within time. The New International Version reads, from ancient times. The New Revised Standard reads, from ancient days. The New World Translation reads, from the days of time infinite. It, It doesn't make any sense. It says, from everlasting. He didn't have a beginning. But now if you read these other versions. How about this one? Who fell from heaven? Well, the King James Bible in Isaiah fourteen twelve says, How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? Now in Revelation 22, we are told that Jesus is the morning star. Revelation twenty two sixteen. Well, the NIV, New American Standard, New Revised Standard, New World Translation, has removed Lucifer from the verse altogether. As a matter of fact, most of the New Bible versions have removed the word Lucifer from the verse altogether. And what you'll find is in place of the word Lucifer, they place another set of words. The NIV replaces Lucifer with Morningstar. The New America Standard replaces Lucifer with Star of the Morning. New Vice Standard, Day Star. Now, why, if they're claiming to make the Bibles easy to understand, would they take Lucifer's name out? Do you know this is the only passage in the entire Bible where the word Lucifer appears? So they take Lucifer completely out and replace it with the words morning star, which if you cross reference morning star, you will not run into Lucifer or Satan or any other variation on Satan's names, you'll instead run into Jesus. And for those who still want to say that this passage is talking about Lucifer, go down a couple of verses in Isaiah 14. The King James Bible says, you shall be brought down to hell. The New Bible says, you'll be brought down to the grave. Now, if Lucifer is a spirit, which he is, how do you put a spirit in a grave? When a grave is a simple hole in the dirt, you can't put a spirit in a hole in the dirt. What these new Bibles are saying is that somebody came down from heaven, took on a body, and was cast down to the grave for wanting to be equal with God, and they said that one who did it was morning star, Jesus Christ, who was the fourth man? In Daniel 3.25. And the King James says, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. We know it's Jesus that was there in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But not in the New Bibles. No, 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 no. They can't have that. The NIV says a son of the gods, so does the New American Standard. So does the New Revised Standard, says a god. Now, I'm sure that Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons love this way that the New Bibles have done it. Because Mormonism believes in many gods, and they believe that Jesus was conceived first in the heavens... Through a sexual relation between God the Father and one of his many goddess wives, that's what Mormonism teaches, and then on earth through an actual sexual relation between God the Father and Mary. That's Mormonism. Therefore, in Mormonism, Jesus will become a son of the gods. God the Father and his goddess wives. That fits Mormonism. But the King James Bible doesn't leave the door open for that kind of interpretation. And the Jehovah's Witnesses have mistranslated John one one to read the word was a God and you got here the new revised standard saying a God for Daniel three twenty five. How about the blood of Christ? How about the blood of Christ? Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's what the King James Bible says. But not the NIV. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The blood removed. New American Standard reads the same way with the blood removed. The Rev- New Revised Standard reads the same way with the blood removed. The New World Translation we have released by ransom the forgiveness of sins. Again, no blood. Why are they making the new Bibles agree with the Jehovah's Witness Bible? What's going on with that? What's going on with that? How about the corrupting of the Word of God? These men know they're corrupting the Word of God when they do this. Second Corinthians 2.17, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of uh, sincerity... But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Well, instead of the word corrupting, the NIV uses peddle, peddling the word of God. New American Standard, peddling the word of God. New Revised Standard, peddlers. The New World Translation, peddlers. The New King James, peddling. I thought the New King James was supposed to be from the same manuscripts as the Old King James yet it's following along with the Jehovah's Witness Bible and the NIV and the New American Standard and the New Revised Standard. How about this one? Remember earlier Pastor Chuck Swindoll was talking about studying the Bible? Many of you are familiar with Second 2 Timothy 2.15, where it says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, you'll find that the new Bibles don't tell you to study. Look at this passage, 2 Timothy 2.15. NIV just says, do your best. The New American Standard says, be diligent. New Advice Standard says, do your best. The Living Bible says, work hard. New World Translation says, do your utmost. The New King James says, be diligent. What happened to study? What happened to study? You see they know if you study, you're gonna find out the things you're finding out right here in this message. They don't want you to find this out, so they don't want you to study it. Just just a works program. Do your best. Be diligent. But don't study. You might you might learn the facts. These are just some of the games that are being played, folks. And I thought I'd let you know. There's a lot more, but I'm just gonna leave it at this. You know, I don't think there's too much more to, to be said. There's a lot more to be said in, in fact, but I don't want to drag it on too long. We've almost gone almost uh, two hours already, so I want to cut it, cut it off here. But I hope you all understand now where the new Bibles come from, the fact that they told us there's no major difference between the King James Bible and other Bibles, yet we're finding out now there's major differences between the King James Bible and other Bibles. And I hope you gain strength from this message. For anybody out there who don't know the Lord, who've heard this message now, and you realize, okay, you've been carrying around a counterfeit Bible and you want, to, you want to change, I want to let you know there's going to be those who are going to attack you the same way they attack me. There are going to be those who are going to put you down the same way they put me down and others who stand for the King James Bible. But I challenge you to stand. Stand. This King James Bible has lasted nearly 400 years and nobody's been able to topple it over. Because God's Word is not going to change. God's Word is not going to pass away. New Bibles come, new Bibles go. God's Word remains. And in the English language, the King James Bible has proven to be God's Word in our language. Because it remains. If you don't know the Lord and you'd like to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to understand we're all sinners. We all do wrong. But our sins can be forgiven if we would come to the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus Christ gave his life for us on the cross. Every single one of us, for our sins, we deserve to die and go to hell. But the Lord loved us so much that he came to this earth as a man that we know as Jesus Christ, who was both God and man. He lived a life without sin and allowed himself to be crucified on the cross for all of us. For you, personally. And if you want to have your sins forgiven and to know that you can go to heaven, that you will go to heaven when you die, you pray and you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to fill you with his spirit, to come into your life and change you. Get yourself a King James Bible. Read it, study it, memorize as much as you can. And I want to add this as well. When you get a King James Bible, make sure you have a genuine... King James Bible. Here are some things to check for. Titus 3.6. The word Savior should be spelled S-A-V-I-O-U-R. If you have a King James, make sure you have a King James that spells Savior with seven letters, not six. Some say, what's the difference? Well, the difference is this. If you have a genuine King James Bible there was no six-letter word S-A-V-I-O-R during the writing of the King James Bible. They spelt Savior S-A-V-I-O-U-R. And if you look in some of the older dictionaries, you will see that S-A-V-I-O-U-R is written with the extra letter as a distinction to show that this word is talking about Jesus Christ. While the S-A-V-I-O-R can be anybody who saves somebody's life. The S-A-V-I-O-U-R is a distinctive word used as the Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to save our souls. Another thing to look for, First John 5-7. If they have removed the Trinity from 1 John 5-7, if it doesn't read, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, if that's been taken out, you have a fake Bible. If they have a footnote in there that says this doesn't belong in the Bible or this was added earlier or the oldest manuscripts do not contain it or something like that, I've already warned you about what they mean when they say the oldest manuscripts. They're talking about the counterfeits. Okay, so make sure the Trinity is in there. One thing I tell people is when you're looking for a King James Bible, try to find the oldest King James Bible you can find, even if that means you've got to go to an old bookstore and find yourself an old King James Bible. If you can get one that doesn't have the footnotes in it, that's even better. The Bible answers itself. You don't need some man to tell you what the Bible means. The King James Bible answers itself. Stay away from Bibles put together by Thomas Nelson Publishers by Zondervan Publications, by the International Bible Society, or the American Bible Society. These are four organizations that are strongly pushing the counterfeit Bibles. You want to stick with the genuine, authorized King James Bible. You also want to stay away from what's called the KJ21, or the so-called updated King James. You want to stay away from what they call the New Schofield. These are all counterfeit King James Bibles put together by these companies because they know there's money in the King James Bible. They don't want to do the regular King James. They want to put their changes in it. They want to create doubt in people's minds about the King James Bible, so they put footnotes in there and they put other things in there that cause you to doubt God's Word. We live in a very deceptive time. So I want you all to be prepared, know what's out there, and be warned beforehand. Find the oldest King James Bible you can find. If it doesn't have any footnotes in it, that's even better. Let the Holy Spirit of God teach you what his word is. This Bible has lasted nearly 400 years and is still going strong. And that's about it, folks. I hope you all have taken in this information. That's just about another for me. And until we meet again, this has been the Underground Christian Network.